0: Mitä podcast. Episode 1. Bruno and Stefan in a building contest. In this episode I tell you which games i played in the beginning of March 2018. Then I'll tell what games I'm planning to get to the table next. And then I'll tell what games I have in my wish list. As a changing topic this week I was planning to tell you guys which podcasts I listen in english so maybe you get an idea where I'm coming from and what kind of content do I listen myself also I will briefly go through my top 10 games of all time the list is made last year's october so it's not up to date I will update it in the summer and this list will change but I want to get a few games to the table before I update the list. So that's why I'm not updating it yet. I was thinking that from which date I should begin going through the games that I've played. I noticed that 1st of March is Thursday. In the city I live in, we have the board game club on Thursday. So usually that's the day when I get to play some games. I thought that why not? It's a good day to begin. We had plans to play Yamatai in the board game club, but the players were not there when I arrived, so we decided to open the box of Rhino Hero Super Paddle and play it 2 player with Juho from Hukka Reissu. He's a guy who's making solo videos at the moment on YouTube. It was not necessarily a good idea to play it 2 player, but we played it anyway. If you've played Rhino Hero, you know that it's a card game where you build a tower and then this super rhino climbs up when he's supposed to climb up and whoever falls the tower loses the game. Rhino Hero super paddle is different in a way that the roof cards are longer and also the wall cards are either short or tall. Also everyone has their own hero who climbs on their turn if it climbs. And what is different in this game compared to the original one is that whoever has a kind of medallion for being at the top wins the game. So whoever falls the tower doesn't lose it, but actually someone wins the game. This plays up to four players, and on your turn you place a roof, and then you roll a die and you move your hero up. If there is another hero on the same level, there's a paddle. Both sides roll a die. One die has uneven numbers, one die has even numbers. So there will be a winner. Whoever loses has to go down one floor. Whoever wins stays on the floor the battle took place in. In the two player game we managed to use almost all the cards. I think we had three cards left unused at the end of the game and I think that this should be played with more than two players I want to try this again with more than two players to see if it's really that good. I already liked Rhino Hero this is not much worse at least, but maybe not as good as a two-player game as the original one was. Then when finally people came we began playing Yamatai. Yamatai is a very gorgeous looking Bruno Catala, and Mark Pagien came from Days of Wonder from last year, and I had played this once, two player, in a late evening, and both of us tried to win the game, so it took very long, meaning it took three hours or even more. I suggest, whatever you do, when you play this game first time, don't try to win. The whole group shouldn't try to win, you should just learn the rules. And then you should play it again when you know the rules, you enjoy it so much more when you don't have to think what to do what to do what to do and it doesn't make the game drag the downtime is huge if there are people who are thinking what to do so also for that reason you should just learn the game on the first time through on your turn you choose one action from available ones and all the actions have numbers the number is important because the smaller number you take the earlier you go in the next round also the higher numbers are in a way better actions, but all of them are good in certain situations. Also you should consider taking the lower numbers to be earlier in the turn order, because sometimes you just need to go first. From these actions you get different number of different colored boats, which you then place to the map, and where you place the boats you take culture tokens from adjacent islands or you build to the adjacent islands. With these culture tokens, you can buy guys with special powers, and they are very good, you also get points from them at the end of the game. The special powers break the rules of the game somehow, which makes it very interesting. To build a building, you need to choose an island that is surrounded with the color of the boats that the building requires. You can build buildings of your own color, or you can build temples or gates. All of them give you points, and they are chosen from a number of buildings that are at the side of the board. At the end of the game, the person with the most points wins the game, basically. I like this game more, with four, but I think the main reason why I liked it more was because I had played it before. It wasn't my first game. The first game was dragging. This one was dragging also because the people who hadn't played it were taking so long time to think what they do it took too long this time also almost three hours again but it will go down if people have played it earlier then on that very weekend we managed to get a group to play games and we were playing in our place one guy came a bit earlier so we cracked open santorini after a while and it's still a really good two-player abstract game i suggest people try it if they see it played somewhere or especially if they like two player abstract games basically you have a grid where you have two builders and on your turn you move one builder and then build one floor of building the aim is to get your builder to move to the third floor of a building Whoever moves to the third floor of the building wins the game. The game comes with guard powers. So there are cards that are dealt to players and they have different powers in them. I suggest that you play with these guard powers. Some people are saying that you shouldn't use them because they are broken. I disagree. You should use them because they are broken. And also both of you have it. But you shouldn't just randomly deal one one. But you should deal two, maybe three cards when you know the powers well enough. And the player can choose which one of them they want to take this is really good game and i'm happy that i got the chance to play it again then the rest of the players came and our plan was to play some fields so we opened amerigo Amerigo is a game where the players are supposed to be discovering the south america as mr vespucci was doing players have boats that they use to move in a quite dense map of islands and then they can build on the islands to harbor places and after that they can build on the islands because this is a failed the player at the end who has the most points wins the game so what's the driving mechanism of this game this game has a cube tower a cube tower is a tower where you drop cubes and some of the cubes or all of the cubes or none of the cubes come out from the tower in this game the cubes are actions types of actions actually and the color of the cube tells you what action you're allowed to do. Basically it works that there's a rondel and actions go one by one according to color and you take all the cubes of one color and drop them to the tower. Whatever comes out, comes out. It works in a way that if, let's say, you drop green cubes to the tower and five of them come out, it means that you'll get five action points in your turn to use them to actions. Now, what also is important is the color of the cubes that come out from the tower. Let's say cubes that come out from the tower, these green ones, and then also yellow and red and black come out. So now you have a choice of four actions, green, yellow, black and red. And from those, you choose which action you want to do, and you have that five action points to do the action. This was a very nice game. It's a bit different from other Felds that I've played. I've played quite a few of them and I really like Stefan Feld's games. I like the game. I want to play it again now that we've played it. It was a bit interesting in the beginning to think what to do or what you should do in your turn. And also we made a silly mistake (laughs) when we began playing the game. We forgot the transparent funnel of the cube tower to the box so about after the first round one player asked that should this be included in the tower and the game changed totally for us because in the beginning most of the cubes were coming through and we had so many action points to do the actions that we didn't really know what to do with the action points but then we put the funnel there and that stopped so we didn't get that many actions and the game changed dramatically for us Then we had to really think what to do with the action points, but it's still a good game, and I suggest you try it if you have any interest in sailing your boat in a South American seas, albeit it's a simulated one, not the real area or the real map. And if you like Stefan Fels, you might like this, but this is a bit different from the others. Then after Amerigo, we played another Stefan Fels game. This one was Merlin. This was released last autumn and I backed it in Kickstarter, and now I have to mention and say that very well done by Queen Games. This game came even before I thought that I I should prepare myself to play this game. It was the quickest ever delivery after Kickstarter that I have experienced or seen or heard or anything. I really didn't think that it will come that early. It came in November, I think, and I was not prepared to play it yet. I should have though. Merlin is a game where the game board is a huge rondel. Rondel is a circle where you move and take actions on the rondel. On the rondel everyone has their own guy, a knight of the round table, and there's also one merlin. Every player moves the knight of their own color, but the merlin is moved by everyone. In your turn you roll three dice and one white die. Those three dies that are your color you can use to move your own guy clockwise on the rondel. With the white die you can move Merlin to either direction, either clockwise or counterclockwise on the rondel. And then when you land you do that action. There are too many different actions and small details so I'm not going through them. But basically all the actions give you something positive and then at the end of the round you're getting something negative that you're supposed to block by choosing the correct actions to do it on the round when you move your guys and choose the actions there's not that much interaction, you can block the other guy on a map there's a map where you can build manors to get points and also you can a bit block the other players by moving the merlin but when i was playing this i wasn't really concentrating on what the others were doing i was concentrating on my turn or all the turns After rolling the dice, you can basically plan your whole round, you can plan all the dice, what do you do with them. But the Merlin die, be careful with it, if the Merlin is in a place where you can get a good action with it, you should use it, because otherwise it might be gone. I like this game a lot. It took a bit time for everyone to get the idea how it works and what to do. I'm not sure if we did well in the game or not. It was very tight, only one player was far behind. It actually ended in a draw, and one guy was probably two points behind or something. This one I also want to play again, and I'm a bit sad I didn't get it to the table sooner than I did. I want to try this two-player. It might be also very interesting. So, what should I get to the table next? First one is Lignum. It's the second edition by Capstone Games. I got it a while ago. And I've read the rules two and a half times. I carried it with me three times to occasions where I could have played it. But the problem is that there should be four people who are wannabe woodcutters. It's not really a difficult game from the rules, but there seems to be a lot of things to remember for the players. It's about planning and making the actions at correct time and such. It should be a bit heavier you know, but it doesn't seem rules heavy. Just a bit memory heavy and thinking heavy. Second game, actually an expansion, that I want to get played, is the expansion for Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Lorenzo Il Magnifico is a very good medium weight Euro game, where you collect sets of cards and such. I got the expansion recently from Amazon. I thought that I ordered English version, but it was Italian version anyway. Family del Rinascimento Espansione But I have to give credit to the publisher Cranio Creations. They sent me the English rulebook by email when I asked it, so I can actually learn and teach the expansion to the players. It would have been really difficult to do it in Italian. I'm not that fluent, although my pronunciation was so perfetto. This expansion adds another tower to the side of the board, and to that tower You don't put one type of cards, you put all the different types of cards, so you can choose from them. It also adds pieces for the fifth player, if there is a need or wish to play with five players. The pieces are pink, so if you want to pinkify yourself, this is an expansion to get to the table. Then I have a different list, so to say, for two player games that I try to get to the table with my wife. There are quite heavy ones. I'm looking at colonists and Lisboa on the shelf that I want to play with two players before I play with more players. Probably colonists I never will play with more than two players. But to get those to the table it needs a week or two of being kind and nice and asking politely that do you want to play, do you want to play or maybe in a different way. But the game that I want to get to the table with, The Wife, is the sixth of the Exit series. We've played the previous five two-player, and they worked very well, and we both like them. They take about 60 to 90 minutes for us to complete, so for that we might have time easier. The sixth title in the Exit series is Forbidden Castle. We like those Exit games quite a lot, but now that we've played five, Some of the puzzles tend to have some repeated aspects from the previous ones, but still, they've made it well, because all of the exits have something new in them. They are not totally the same all the time. So they still are fresh, to some extent, when you play them. In my wishlist, I have about 20 games at the moment that I'm interested in. It's not recently updated, one year ago I had probably a hundred games that I was interested in, but then I noticed that I have to reduce the number somehow. And of course I've got some of the games already by now. The first one I'm going to bring up is Brazil by Nuno Pizarro Sentiero and Paulo Soledade. They co-created both Madeira and Nippon, which are very good Euro games. They are a bit on the heavier side, but I really like them. I also like the publisher What's Your Game. Although all of their games look the same, they are all drawn by Mario Iannelli. But there is something in them that, because they look the same, and they are all Euros as far as I know, they seem like part of the same series, although they are different games. But I like their stuff a lot. Brazil was supposed to come out in S in 2016, if I remember. Then it was supposed to come out in 2017, and now it's going to be in Kickstarter by the end of 2018. I don't know what is making the game later and later, but I'm still interested in it a lot. Second one on my wishlist that I want to bring up is Yggdrasil. It's been on my wishlist since I don't even know when. It seems to be really difficult to get this game especially because I want the second edition with the expansion not the first edition and another thing is that I don't think there are many available used in Finland that I can actually consider getting Also the prices seem to be a bit too high This is not that kind of a game that I will pay 100 or more euros to get I mean if I get it in a normal price for a used game like a few 10 of euros, I can buy it, even the first edition, but no, the prices around are too high for this game. I've understood that it's a difficult cooperative game, doesn't matter, that's good, it's better that the cooperative game is a bit difficult rather than too easy, if it's too easy there's no challenge and it gets boring after a while, at least in my opinion. If you have this game, and you see me somewhere where we are able to play games, I'm willing to try the game, so I know if I really want it or not. This is one of the games that I wanted to try for a very long time. Then, third one from my wishlist that I want to bring up is Timeline Challenge. I don't understand why it is not possible to get this in English from Finland, Or even from anywhere that the delivery doesn't cost ridiculous amount of money compared to the cost of the game. I could order it from USA, but no, it's too much. I don't want it that much. Timeline challenge is basically timeline, but it has a different system in the game. And I really want this game, because timeline is, well, it's a fine game, but this one adds some real game into it. And that's why I want this. The idea of timeline is very good in my opinion and this implementation seems to be very suiting for that kind of mechanism. Mm -hmm. Now we get into the changing topics. For this first episode I thought that I would tell you guys what podcasts I'm listening currently. Maybe it will give you some kind of idea that where I'm coming from with my ideas and such. I was thinking where to start with the podcasts, so I decided that I'm starting from the one that I started from, which is the Dice Tower podcast. I assume that many people who start listening podcasts start from this podcast. The Dice Tower is a network and they have YouTube channel also. They make lots of videos, but this podcast has been on for ages. I think this might be the oldest gaming podcast, at least one that is still hosted by the same person, Tom Vassel. The Dice Tower Network has lots of podcasts, and that was the easiest place for me to find the podcasts that I might begin listening, when I understood that podcasts are good to listen board game content from, because you can do it while doing other stuff as well. I like this podcast because the chemistry between Tom and his co-host Eric Summerer is really good and they recently made a change that those two are hosting the podcast bi-weekly and on the weeks in between Suzanne Sheldon and Mandy Hutchinson are hosting the podcast. In the beginning I didn't really like this change because of as I said earlier I like the chemistry of Tom and Eric and what they do in the show. They seem really like best buddies when they are talking and I didn't like the idea that I will lose it for one week. However, in the beginning Mandy and Suzanne seemed to be trying to find their way a bit and after the first few episodes I thought that it's not a good change. But since then they've become more and more relaxed about the podcast Maybe they were nervous in the beginning or something like that, because they are getting better now and they are finding their chemistry and everything is clicking now. So now I enjoy the change. Then as a next podcast I have to bring up This Game is Broken. It's a game show type of kind of thing by people who are contributors in the Dice Tower YouTube channel. I think all of them have segments in Board Game Breakfast. I haven't really been able to follow the Board Game Breakfast video show for almost a year or something. I'm still watching one year old episodes. I think I just watched the episodes around Dice Towercon last year. So almost one year behind. The host of this show is Dan Hughes. And he's the person everyone can point a finger at and blame for me doing this podcast. I found this podcast last winter because there was so much snow and so much wood chopping and everything else. I literally ran out of podcasts to listen, so I had to find something new. So when I found this podcast, I just listened all of the episodes in a row and I really liked it. The podcast is a game show. There are some random topics. That two teams are competing and to go with that the point system is also a bit random and it seems to change from episode to episode. I assume Dan is professional at making taxes. The teams are Dave Luza and one of the brothers Murph, I don't remember which one. The other brother Murph is on the other team accompanied by Matthew Jude. The brothers first names are Mike and Nick but I don't remember which one is which. Why I said that Dan is to blame for this podcast is uh, I sent Dan a message in Board Game Geek and said that I have a idea for a game that they can do in the show. That they could try to translate Finnish board game names into English. And Dan said that it's a good idea and made it a bit further and then asked that would i want to record with them and i thought that what i haven't spoken publicly except in front of a class or work related matters but not about my hobbies and then i thought that it also has to be in english that will i be able to manage or not and thought for it for a moment but after asking some questions from dan i thought that it's not that bad of an idea and maybe i can do it because all i needed was a headset google account and audacity to record the speech in and he said that matthew will do the rest and by the way i want to add that matthew is a superstar at editing actually we did the recording for this show on the same day that we played this amerigo and merlin and santorini so It's quite sweeting to begin the podcast from that week's games. I had so much fun in this recording and the guys were so great. Even the Swedish Markus Brisman was great. And after the podcast I thought that, hmm, we don't really have Finnish podcasts about board games. There wasn't any running at that moment, not even one. And Markus was doing in Swedish and he had this great name for a podcast, whose turn it is. And I thought that if they have in Sweden, why don't we have in Finland? And that began the thought process that should I try or not and what to do and how to do and everything. And then since then I was thinking about it and made Instagram account. And then I began reading about these things about podcasts and where to host the audio and how to make the RSS feed. And how does it work in reality? And after spending many hours to that stuff, I thought that, well, I'll try, let's see what happens. I'm not going to make this for money anyway, I'm making it as a hobby. And because obviously I want to stare at the screen and talk to myself. But also I thought that maybe someone would like to listen what I have to say. So, all in all, it's this podcast's fault, and you can blame them for my podcast. I said that I found this podcast in the winter for the previous podcast. The reason why I found this podcast was because Patrick Kelly from Blue Peck, Pink Peg podcast had been a guest in their show. Now, this podcast is probably my favorite podcast. It's bi-weekly podcast and it's, as they say in their description, podcast for everyone. At least that's what my podcast app says in their description. And I really agree, this is, it's not only board games, it's a bit hard to grasp what it is in this. But the main thing in this podcast why I like it so much, is the chemistry between the guys. Besides Patrick, there are Rob and Christina, who are a gaming couple, and there's a new member now on board, Josh. I have to say that I began listening this earlier when Jeremy was the greenback. And I really like their chemistry. The guys are in the same room when they record and you can almost hear the faces they make to each other and how they stare at each other. And they have fun doing this thing and it really, it's contagious when you're listening to it. So that's the main reason I like this. Jeremy left the show to do something with his life—life outside of podcast. And they were trying to find a new host for the podcast. They were searching for a while and they found this local guy, Josh. Well, I have to say that at the moment, I like Jeremy more, because I got used to their chemistry. But Josh is getting more and more comfortable being on the podcast, and it's a good thing. Although, maybe the other members are not letting him speak enough. At least the last two episodes I thought that maybe Josh should speak more. But I don't know, it's getting back to its track now. Of course it's understandable if a person changes, even if it's their friend from earlier. It's different because the chemistry is not the same but it will be good it will get better and better and Jos is a good addition actually he seems to be a good replacement for jeremy but the thing with jeremy is that he was this in a way (laughs) voice of reason in the group he was peaceful and some kind of down to earth and he restricted the others so that the others stay calmer now that he's gone They are all over the place, sometimes, not all the time, and not that much more than earlier, but Jeremy seemed to be the voice of reason in that band. But this is a really good podcast, and it really is suitable for everyone, in my opinion. And if you want to hear four people chat in the same room and laugh at themselves and laugh to each other and don't really take each other and themselves seriously, this is a podcast you should listen. And I suggest that you begin listening from the 100th episode, Because they made some kind of a recap from previous episodes in that. And then listen onwards. I I have to say maybe they listened to this. But they were listing things that are 100 when they had this 100th episode. But they missed Finland's 100th year birthday. We were 100 years independent last December. And you missed it. I'm very disappointed in your knowledge about things. Because how can you miss that? You always make your trivia so well and everything you make with lots of detail, but that you miss? Come on. I got angry when I was mowing the lawn. Just kidding, of course. They will not hear this, but anyway. Now I've said it. Now I feel much better. Besides these three, when I was trying to find these new podcasts, I found this podcast called The Deep End Gaming Podcast. It's streamed live on YouTube and then it comes as audio later. There are Joe Wiggins, Clay Ross, and Ryan Metzler, and it's about heavier board games. Now, word of warning, when you try to find this podcast, remember to put that gaming there in the name. If you don't, and if I've understood correctly, you might get this podcast about some kind of teenage life or teenage problems, and that's probably not what you want to find. These guys are passionate, especially Joe is passionate about what he's saying and doing and such. Joe is currently working in Panda manufacturing. Kleros is the head of Capstone Games. And Ryan Metzler is the former heavy Euro reviewer of Dice Tower. He was on a break, now he seems to be partly back. Now, these guys really talk about heavier Euros. They mention Indonesia at least once per episode. This game by Splotter. They also like Splotter games. Joe is somewhat 18xx enthusiast. And talks about that at least 10 times per episode. And Ryan's thing is that he curses a lot. So if you don't want to hear foul language, you should pay heed to the advice that Ryan might not be gentle on your ears sometimes. But I think it's his character and you either like it or you don't. I don't really mind that much. Then I just recently began listening Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. I haven't listened enough episodes to give an opinion, some episodes seem good, some seem less good, but if you like their video content and their content in overall, then you should maybe try the podcast as well, they have good stuff there going on. Then one more podcast I have subscribed to is Boardgamers Anonymous. Now this podcast I don't listen every week, but I listen sometimes depending on their topic. When I began listening, there were three of them, now there's two of them. And it seems that this podcast has some kind of a following, like a cult kind of following. Don't get me wrong, I don't mean that kind of cult cult, but they have passionate followers and they have extra content for Patreon backers and they create lots of extra stuff, not only the podcast. Sometimes this came randomly, now it's coming weekly and they have one topic every week that they go through mostly. But the reason I don't listen to this weekly is that I can listen to this depending on the situation. Because the volume of this podcast is quite low and it changes sometimes. It goes high, it goes low. And it's sometimes not good to get those high volumes or low volumes because, as I said earlier, I'm listening to podcasts when I'm driving, when I'm chopping wood and such. It's not good if I get scared for the high sound or if I have to put the volume up or if I miss something. It annoys me if I can't listen to it normally. But the content is really good that they have. If you are fine listening to the podcast so that you don't mind that the volume levels sometimes go up, sometimes go down. It's not really that big of a problem as I'm making it sound like. But the content is good, so you should listen to these guys. At least try them. Anthony also has a solo podcast, so if you're a solo player, you might want to check him and his podcast out as well. The last podcast I have on the list is The Broken Meeple by Luke Hector. He's making this podcast alone. He's babbling for a random amount of time about topics. And he has lots of opinions, and he's not afraid to voice his opinions. He says them very direct. The downside is that the episodes have come very rarely nowadays. He's concentrated on his video channel on YouTube. You can find him from there and he's probably busy in his life otherwise as well. I like the way that he does this podcast alone. He talks about topics, talks, talks, talks and derails his conversation with himself and such He has a different style of doing it and I thought that this babbling podcast is quite nice and if I ever wanted to do a podcast it would be this way. So he's also partly to blame for the way that I'm doing this. But let's see, maybe in the future or in some episodes I will have some guests. Probably not in the English version because I'm not sure if my gaming buddies or friends want to talk in English. But at least in the Finnish one I try to get some of them on. Because some of them might have some good things to say and they uh, didn't say no yet. They have been very interested in that way that they might want to say what they have on their mind. But in the English version I might give a recap what they say about the matters that they are speaking in the Finnish one. It's more difficult to get some English guests because I don't really know who I would ask and when would we record or how because I'm really doing this in a random time when I have time. So it's difficult to schedule anything or maybe I just do offline. I don't really know. But if any content creator in English listens to this and thinks that they want to get a plug in this show or want to contact me, please feel free to do so. We might figure something out. I promised to give you my top 10 games of all time from last October. I will go through the games very briefly because as i said i will redo my list in the summer so i'll make a longer explanation then so here we go number 10 is star wars rebellion this is as has been said star wars in a box especially episodes 4 to 6 so the original ones one side is rebels and the other side is the empire it's very interesting cat and mouse kind of game and it is very good two-player game very thematic one and well deserves a place on this list as the number 10. I had only one problem with this game which was the combat cards that they were the same cards even if you had different units and such. There was an expansion for this, Rise of the Empire, which fixes that combat system for me. I haven't yet tried it unfortunately but I will try to get it before the next time I play this game. Or then I play someone else's copy who has the expansion. I've only played this one time, but even from that one time, I see that this game is very good, and I like it so much already. Number nine is Robinson Crusoe Adventures on the Coast Island. This one I've played six times with two player, three player and four player. I like it at all player counts. I also played older version. I have the newer version on myself and it's a difficult cooperative game, and if you like that kind of stuff, I suggest that you try this as well. The rulebook in the first edition was horrible, I didn't have to read it luckily myself, and I also didn't have to learn this game, I was taught by a person who had played it many times, so I was lucky regarding that. Eighth spot on the list goes to Seasons. This is one of mine and the wife's favorite two player games and we would play this much more if we remember to take it to the table from the shelf instead of something new. This game is very good with two players, I haven't played it with three or four players and actually I see no reason to do it either, because it's so good two player game, it's very quick and you can really play it head to head that way. Also. With two player, it makes it interesting and very variable, because you don't use all the dice of each color every game. You only take some of the dice, and the dice are all different. They don't have the same sides. On the seventh place on my list is Five Tribes. This I've played two times, once with four players, once with two players. And I liked the game with both player counts but especially at two this is a nice game because you get two actions and you can get the two actions in a row if you make your bits in a proper way. This is a quite thinky game, so like I said about Yamatai earlier in this episode, if you play this for the first time, don't try to win. Just try to learn the game. Also if you play with four players, when you finish your turn, You don't really know what's coming in the next turn, you can't plan ahead. That makes it a bit longer because you have to begin thinking when your turn begins. Then you can know what you can do. But with two players, that's not really a problem because there is just one player who can do something to prevent you from doing something in your turn. I like this game mostly because of the thought process that is used to play this game. It has this mangala mechanism that you pick up something and you drop something and when you drop the last one something happens. But you have to consider so many different things. That's probably the thing why I like this game so much. Sixth game is Istanbul. This is a very good medium euro. It has this similar tower of discs mechanism as Rüdiger Dorn used already in Traders of Genoa. And you move the tower one disc at a time, but here you do something where you stop the tower. In Genoa you begin an auction and bidding every time you place a disc somewhere. So it's different in that way. This is really good at two players. I've also played it four players. It's very good at that player count as well. And it has two expansions already. The first one, this coffee and tip expansion, it affects the gameplay and makes it even better, especially the coffee. Also the tipping part is a good addition to the game. Letters and Seals I haven't played yet. I have it on the shelf, but I didn't yet manage to get it to the table. Then the next game on the list at fifth place is Castles of Burgundy. This is probably our favorite two-player game that we play with the wife. It's very quick with two players, also we can play it very fast because we've played it five or six times now, and every game is different, and it's a Stefan Feld, what can I say? Also, last time we played, I lost. It was the first time I lost this game, so now I'm traumatized. Not really traumatized, but we didn't play since then, and I want my revenge. Number four on this list is Gloomhaven. What can I say about this? Gloomhaven is number one ranked game on BoardGameGeek. I'm not entirely sure if it should be the number one game. It's a big one. I packed it in the first Kickstarter run and I'm glad I did. But I have to confess that we've only played maybe four scenarios. It's still set up in the vault of my self-made board game table. It's been there since November, we played 4 scenarios in a very short time and then we just didn't have time to continue and now I think that we have to relearn the rules to continue the campaign so that's why it's taking a bit time. Also because it's in the vault of the table it doesn't really matter, it can stay there. This game has very interesting card playing mechanic. I don't really want to describe this game like this, I suggest that if you haven't tried this game you try it. It doesn't matter what kind of game you like. If you like Euro games, try it. If you like dungeon crawlers, try it. If you like Ameritras, try it. It has something that lures everyone in. It's worth trying, I'm saying, that's all I'm saying. Now especially because more and more people have it after the second kickstarter, try to get it played. You should like it. If you don't, you don't, it's fine. But the game and the content and the story they are really good and it's very in-depth experience also. I only played this two player because there's no need to play it with three or four. The only negative side is that I'm afraid that we won't unlock all the content. But it seems that Isaac is making an expansion to the game so probably there will be more possibilities to open the content fully. But as I said we are only four scenarios in to the campaign. but. Already it seems that we won't be able to open all the characters and everything. Our personal quests are not going very well. Third game on the list is Feast for Odin. Now this has only got to the table once as a two-player game, but oh my god this is a good game. It's Uwe Rosenberg's Big Box from 2016. I have the game in German because the English version was double the price of the German but it doesn't really matter because the only thing you need in English in the game to play it are the texts on the cards and you can get the texts on a sheet of paper and just look at the number of the card and you can look from the list what it does. This is a really good game also, you have a ton of things to do, and you just need to decide what is the most important thing to do, and what way to proceed. There are so many different ways to play this game, and I want to get this to the table again, soon if possible. Number 2 on the list is War of the Ring, 2nd edition. Now this one, again, I've played only once, but it was so good once that I have nothing to complain about. This is a really good game. Actually, we played this and Star Wars Rebellion with a childhood friend of mine when he came to visit his family here. And me and my family didn't have any plans at that time, so he was able to stay over and we were able to play some games. So we decided to play this War of the Ring in the evening. We began about 10 o'clock in the evening, that's not a good idea. We played 4-5 hours probably, first game. But it was so good experience that I want to do it again. Never mind that that night's sleep went away, but doesn't really matter. The experience was so good. And we were discussing about the game afterwards, talking about it. So we had lots of thoughts on the game. This is so good. It's almost perfection as a two-player game. And actually, in the morning after breakfast, we played Star Wars Rebellion, so we played these two back to back. And many people are comparing them to each other. In my opinion, they are not the same thing. They are different games, different things. They have some similarities, but no, they are different games. This one is even more Lord of the Rings in the box than Star Wars is Star Wars in a box. But it was very good. That whole two days was very good experience in my gaming life. Number one on the list, is a game that probably will not be number one when I redo this list. The reason for that is that I haven't played this game for two years. And the game is Battlestar Galactica. Now last time we played it was in YokiCon 2016, we played without any expansions and i was the president and on a second turn i had to make a choice that had only two bad choices i made the better choice and one guy thought that i'm the Cylon and he decided that i have to go to jail so i was in the jail for the whole game i was not the Cylon but when the new loyalty cards were dealt i was the Cylon so very well planned but that soured my experience on the game and i probably will never play without expansions anymore because if you're in the brick you're in the brick there's nothing you can do with the expansions there are things that can happen that can get you out of the brick and you are not out of the game really from the expansions my choice of modules is from pegasus you take the pegasus from exodus you can take the silent fleet or don't take it's up to you sometimes it's nice to have it sometimes you don't really need it depends on the amount of pilots if you have only one pilot playing then it's really difficult with the fleet if you have two pilots then they have enough stuff to do so thinking like that it depends on the group and from daybreak the silent leaders are good from daybreak pegasus ones are not good don't play with them and also from daybreak this treachery deck is almost obligatory to put to the game because that makes silence life easier and it's also good to have in the game the pegasus treachery deck is it's like half done but the daybreak treachery deck is good, use that about the mutineer, i don't really like it i don't even like the mutiny cards sometimes i don't think that you should even use them necessarily i would use Cobol as the final destination, not earth earth makes the game longer and it's not necessarily a good idea except if you go to earth then you should have this shipboard that you can make the missions in to make the traveling faster and easier The other ship this Cylon-based star, it's up to you if you have it or not. But all in all, it depends on the group that you play with and what kind of mood you are in, how long do you have time, what expansions to take. Also with Battlestar Galactica, you shouldn't play it in a hurry. You shouldn't play it on a session that you have exactly two hours or exactly three hours or exactly four hours. You should play it so that everyone have the mindset that we will play this game no matter how long it takes then you can play it relaxed and with its own pace it can be quick it can be slow but you shouldn't rush it you shouldn't limit the time that you have for the game but i really like this game also because i watched the series the newer version two or three times and this really captures the feeling of that series in my opinion and it really brings that series to life in a form of a board game especially if the people you play with are nice but that's always with the games that you play you should play with people that are nice don't play with someone who sours your experience that's the key to happiness or not happiness maybe but to enjoyable board game life That's it for this episode, thank you for listening. In the next episode, as a changing topic, I will give you a list of the games that I should get to the table, so you know what to wait in the future. I might not have a top 10 list, and there might only be this one topic to keep it a bit shorter. This one went a bit long. You can find me from Facebook on the page Mitapelaata, M-I-T-A-P-E l a t a on instagram and twitter and also soundcloud where this podcast is my username is so the same as previous just add a and n to the end on board game geek you can find me with username zuxi z u x i If you want to contact me by email, you can send email to mitapelatan at gmail.com. If you have questions or anything, I will answer them in this podcast or through some other channel. Please give comments if you have them. I'm willing to take comments about the content, about the podcast, about anything. If you know anyone who might be interested in listening to this podcast or following me on other media, please tell them to do so. Thank you. Let's get back to it later, and I'll tell you what to be play. The music used in this podcast was created by SoundCloud user Grim Thanks to him for letting me use